Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Hi, and welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, where we showcase the leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of senior living. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago, strategy consultant and CEO of Peak to Profit. Today, my guest is Ann Kahn. Ann serves as the president and chief executive officer for the McGregor Foundation. And she's got more than 25 years experience working in the senior living industry. She provides leadership to McGregor, whose mission is to serve seniors both through direct service provision and philanthropic support. McGregor provides rehabilitation, nursing, housing, and hospice services in conventional settings, as well as working to keep seniors as independent as possible in the community through its program for all-inclusive care for the elderly, or PACE. And we're gonna talk about PACE today. Anne received her BS in Business Administration from Youngstown State University and her Executive MBA from Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio. For the first five years of her career, she worked in public accounting, which I didn't know. That was pretty interesting. Um, And then it looks like from there you went into senior living and um, haven't left. So um, we're so happy to have you. You also serve on the Board of Directors for Leading Age Ohio and on the Evergreen Cooperative Board. So thank you, um, Anne, for being here today, and welcome to Senior Living Visionaries. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to learn a little bit more about McGregor and allowing us to share about the work that we do. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, well, you definitely are innovating in a number of ways and um, have some really exciting partnerships that we're going to talk about as well. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about McGregor Foundation, um, its mission? We talked a little bit about its mission, but you know, what are kind of the key strategic priorities that you and your board are focused on for the next couple of years? Sure. So McGregor's been around since 1877, so we are along time organization, not-for-profit organization in Cleveland, Ohio. And for many years, probably for the first 110 years, we were a standalone um, facility that was really focused on, I think the the language that was used was um, home for aged women, which is um, always interesting to look back now on how the organization got its roots. But fast forward, you know, 140 years now, really we are focused on expansion into community-based living and supports and services. And I know we'll get into um, that work in just a few minutes, but when you look at uh, McGregor's strategic vision, over the last 20 years, we've been focused on supporting seniors and those who serve them is um, how we focus and make a decision on whether or not we move into a particular area. And Um, As you know, and many of our colleagues across the industry know, that uh, 
nursing home care, which was where we were originally established, has had some significant challenges over the last um, at least decade, let's say, and especially in Ohio with the uh, COVID pandemic. And in 2010, we decided to move into community-based care with a PACE program, which, as you said before, stands for Program for All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. And that transition really allowed us to become more of an insurance-based model. So we are, you know, PACE is an insurance-based uh, model where we take on risk and um, are really rewarded by uh, supporting older adults in the community and helping them to uh, age as independently uh, in the community as possible for as long as possible. And that strategic vision for us has allowed us to weather some of these financial storms over the last uh, several years. So um, in 2010, when we took over that program, the, they were supporting about 150 seniors. And today we support over 670 older adults um, in, our post, in our program here in Cleveland, Ohio. So, and when COVID occurred, we, uh, really took a proactive approach with working with the state of Ohio to advocate for expansion of PACE um, across the state. We had a wonderful advocate in the Director of Aging who worked with us to, to better understand um, how PACE was able to pivot when so many adult day centers um, had to close and had to shift to community-based care. And PACE really allowed us to be able to do that in, um, frankly, in a matter of days. And that flexibility was pivotal to our ability to keep people safe in the community. And um, over the last three years, we've been successful in expanding, um, advocating for pace expansion, which just in this last, um, the last year, the state of Ohio has awarded seven other um, counties. So we're, we had one county in Ohio um, that had PACE as an option. And um, hopefully within the next two years, we will have seven more. So we're excited to, to get started with that. But we remain committed still to residential housing as well. So we do have, um, you know, everything from independent apartments, assisted living, skilled nursing, as you mentioned before, and end of life care. But one of the things that makes us unique is our um, grant making and mm -hmm. we do fund about a million dollars back into our local community uh, a year to support older adults, um, mainly in affordable housing with services, um, supporting education for work, you know, expansion of um, senior living workforce, and then um, quality of life, which is a small portion of our giving, but um, can be very impactful. So it gives you a little bit of picture into McGregor. That's great. Um a follow-up question. I know we're going to talk about PACE expansion, as, and as you mentioned, um, I think you were awarded the ability to expand into an, an additional county. We'll get there in just a second. Um, do you believe that you will, that the organization will be focused on brick and mortar expansion as well in the, in the near term, or, is, or are you really going to focus on those community-based services? We are really going to focus on community-based expansion through the PACE program. Um, where we are doing brick and mortar, it's in partnership with other um, affordable housing, affordable living developers, and um, whether that's in our local um, kind of backyard in Cuyahoga County or in, as we expand, we were awarded um, two counties, which we're excited to be able to 
um, bring to the organization. And um, in both of those areas, we'll be looking to help support um, further expansion of affordable senior living. So um, we have a developer that we've worked with over the past um, several years uh, for one of those areas and are hopeful to submit a, uh, a submission to the low-income housing tax credit program here in Ohio in just a couple of weeks. Nice, nice. That sounds awesome. So um, you shared a little bit about how you got into the PACE business, and it sounds like that you see that as a big part of your strategic vision going forward. Um, can you talk a little bit about the impact? I know you mentioned that you um, really increased that program from serving 150 to 670. Um, what kind of impact does that have in those individuals' lives? For people who aren't familiar um, with PACE programs, maybe you can kind of, I know you mentioned it's an insurance-based model, but maybe share how it impacts the seniors and um, if you have any um, impact statements or research statistics you can share, we'd love to learn more. Absolutely. So just to give a little bit of background about PACE for folks who have not had a chance to really um, dive into the model, it is an insurance-based model that's supported through um, a per member per month payment from Medicare and Medicaid. And to qualify for the program, you need to be at least 55 years or older. You have to live in the service area, which for us is Cuyahoga County, and you have to meet nursing home level of care. So all of these individuals, but for PACE, would be um, or could be living in a nursing home um, somewhere in Cuyahoga County. Now, as you can imagine, many, if not every individual, when asked if they could remain in their own home, would prefer to stay in their home as long as possible. So um, for us, on average, since 100% of our population is nursing home eligible, only about 7 to 9% of our participants live in a nursing home um, during their time that they're um, with us at, um, as part of the program. The average um, time that they're um, in the program is over three and a half years. So for someone to be able to um, choose to stay in their home or be supported with family um, from a quality of life perspective, it's a amazing, I'm gonna say, freeing choice for them, right? So they get to do um, live where they would like to be. And for the family and really the caregiver, if you were to look at our satisfaction scores over 97%, of the people who've chosen PACE um, would choose us again and are mm. satisfied with their care. So it uh, uh, speaks to the um, service quality that we're able to deliver. And those individuals, when we look at overall, you know, rehospitalization rates are lower. Um, for the caregiver, if you've ever been a caregiver on, um, on your own, you know mm -hmm. that the complexity of when you have to find um, there's a medication change for your um, family members that everything that goes along with that whether it's getting the medications whether it's updating the pillbox whether it's um, calling the doctor for that change all of that is handled by the interdisciplinary team so that's really the magic of the pace model when you look at how um, we are structured for every 55 um, participants. Uh, there is a what's called an interdisciplinary care team. So a social mm -hmm. worker and a nurse are dedicated to the care coordination. They provide the, um, you know, if they need skilled home care, they provide it. If they need um, coordination between the hospital, you know, if they go in for a hospitalization stay, they are helping them to um, coordinate the skilled living back to home. 
And so those transitions of care are much smoother within the PACE program. And we also provide transportation um, to and from a doctor's appointments and uh, to dialysis and those types of things. So when you're a caregiver and trying to coordinate all of those services, it can be a significant burden. Mm-hmm. So for PACE, uh, those are just a couple of things where we are able to be a partner in that service delivery with the family and allow someone to or support someone in staying independent longer. And for the the 93% or so that are not in the SNF setting, the skilled nursing setting, that are living at home, do the majority of those come to um, a center on a daily basis? Or or, um, what what percentage of your 670 would you say are are, are coming to you every day? Sure. So we um, partner with other providers in the community. So we do have about 150 of those individuals live in assisted living um, or in group home settings. Okay. And those individuals don't typically come to the center because they're already in a group setting. Mm-hmm. But for the ones that are living in affordable apartments or in their homes or with family members, typically they come to the center um, anywhere from two to three days a week. And while they're there, they have access to their primary care, to therapies, you know, physical, occupational, and speech therapy. They um, usually have some recreational therapy and the ability to visit with their, you know, uh, friends that they meet as they join the program. So we usually um, are seeing them a couple of times a week. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so. I know that, um, so you've been doing this since 2010, you said 14 years and you're getting ready to expand, um, which is um, so amazing. Um, I, I've i learned about PACE programs many years ago and very impressed with them, but tell us a little bit about um, any obstacles that your organization has faced in this journey and how you've overcome them. Sure. So when we first took over the organization, it had some regulatory issues that we had to um, address first. And we have a a fabulous team, operations team that has been leading the program for the last 14 years that they have the ability to really understand the regulations and make sure that we're meeting the basics, right? Meeting what we need to. So that's kind of the, the lowest bar, but what we expect and then the ability to add on additional um, services. So probably our biggest challenge in the beginning was um, having hiring uh, individuals who were used to working in a fee-based model structure mm-hmm. versus in a value-based. Now, um, you know, fast forward 14 years, that's probably more, more individuals are working in value-based care than were when we took over in 2010. But that shift in understanding what the goals of care were for that individual and um, what their baseline looks like and what their, you know, it's, um, uh, I'll give you a wonderful example of something where um, an individual um, who um, was hard of hearing and didn't want to keep the, you know, hearing aids in, and yes, we could order hearing aids, but if they weren't going to wear them and didn't have it, you know, disorienting for them to have them in understanding the individual as what their goals of care were and how um, we could best support them to be independent. That's just one example, but there's many, many others. Um, The second one is probably just the coordination and understanding, helping community-based providers that we partner with, um, helping them to understand how how we can be good partners with them and then how they can be good partners with us. So we choose um, 
other quality uh, not-for-profit providers we try to um, partner with um, for our short-term rehabilitation, our home care, the, the things where we have value alignment so that we know we're delivering quality-based care, um, both in their homes as well as uh, for short-term rehabilitation and um, assisted living, those types of services. So, you know, choosing the right partners was a lesson that we learned very early on. Right. Because this is essentially, I mean, it's a um, capitated model. So you mentioned value-based care, but I mean, there's one fee that you earn per member per month, and then um, you have to fit in all that care. And there's a lot of care that goes into a PACE program um, and within that per member per month. So that's where the great quality providers come in too as well, right? It absolutely is. Yeah. And when you're thinking about how do you coordinate, what's the most important piece of that care delivery? Because to one person, it might be that um, they need to really have more attention to their medication management. Mm -hmm. Whereas another individual, it's critical for them to make sure they're coming to the center more frequently because, um, you know, they have, you know, they have dementia and they're at wander risk and their family members don't want them to be at home. So they need to come in five days a week. So really it's the interdisciplinary team that makes those decisions and helps to support the participant, which is um, how the individuals refer to in our, because they are participating in their care and they have um, an equal say in how, um, the care plan is derived. Mm -hmm. And you started this part of the conversation about challenges, talking about the regulatory environment. And I, I guess we probably don't want to understate that because this is truly a Medicare program. So you're subject to Medicare conditions of participation plus a Medicaid program. So you have those state regulations as well. Um, so, um, and then does Department of Aging layer on top of that as well? Yeah, the Department of Aging is really the body for the state that it does the administration. Okay. Um, probably one of the other challenges that I would point to is because we have been the only program in the state for the last several years, um, we are such a small portion of the Medicaid program for the state of Ohio, and we are a demonstration state, so there is a, um, a dual demonstration project that's happening. And so the state, our Medicaid, um, when they look at PACE, we're talking about six, you know, 670 participants versus 70,000 that mm -hmm. are with demonstration. So sometimes getting, um, getting the attention or helping to understand the difference between our model and let's say a traditional um, dual program mm -hmm. is, can be a challenge from a reimbursement perspective. So Another reason why we're really excited about the expansion in Ohio is just to have uh, a larger base from an advocacy perspective, as well as helping the, the regulators understand and the, the folks who handle the reimbursement what is included in PACE, because we're not exactly like um, in Ohio, <clears throat> excuse me, in Ohio, it's called the MyCare plans, mm -hmm. so okay. MyCare demonstration model. You know, I've been um, on a kind of s similar topic. Uh, I do a lot of work in the continuing care at home space, which also, you know, tends to have a wellness coordination model, not to the extent of a PACE program, but um, we'll call it a light, <laughs> a lighter um, prevention and coordination model. And um, I was doing some research around HEDIS and STAR measures um, and how you can, you know, how these programs can actually impact uh, on a positive note, you know, those measures from a Medicare perspective, because when we're doing our work, we are um, assuring that people are getting the screenings that they need, that they're adhering to their medications, that their chronic conditions are under control, you know, all the things that 
uh, folks um, in the value-based world really focus on, right? To not just um, reduce care costs, but to do the best thing for the patients. Do you, are you guys subject to um, HEDIS and STAR measures as well? Are you we are monitored? Not, okay. Yeah, we're not currently, although there are there is still a significant amount of data that we submit to um, both our Medicare as well as there's a group that does some benchmarking for us within the national PACE um, world. So while um, it's not here yet, it may be here in the future, especially as um, PACE expands rapidly across, you know, many states are seeing this expansion that Ohio is experiencing right now. So I would expect that um, over time, that's something that will be could be added to our mm -hmm. overall requirements. But I think the one other piece I would just point out specifically when you talk about value-based care, uh, because we're both the provider and the insurance company, you know, when we do a, a, an excellent job in taking care of our participants and maintaining their health, you know, there isn't an insurance company separately that is making um, additional, has to make additional money to have those funds um, then come to, you know, a shareholder to us mm -hmm. because we are a nonprofit model, at least at McGregor, um, that can then be reinvested and reinvested back into our program or into other not-for-profit um, priorities. So we're really excited to be able to have that differentiator and um, demonstrate the magic of the PACE model, especially when it's supported through a not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. You bet. On the on the PACE um, program side, are you um, would you say that McGregor is innovative in any ways where you might be leading the pack of other nonprofit PACE programs? Is there anything you want to highlight about McGregor's program? So I think there are many programs across the country that are innovative. And um, while we do not have the scale of some of the programs that have been around in um, California, obviously, was where the first program um, mm -hmm. started. And there are some fairly large organizations that have um, been doing PACE for a long time and have been able to, uh, I want to say, invest in innovation. We're probably uh, more in the early stages, I will say, although uh, we have made a strategic commitment to innovation over the last um, couple of years, and it's part of our um, strategic plan and have, we have focused resources around that. So just a couple of examples where I think we uh, are making a difference from an innovation perspective is really implementing um, our full technology, whether it's for mm -hmm. electronic monitoring through or through um, another system called Intiscare. I'll utilize that. And that is a, a um, overlay over the electronic medical record that helps um, to risk stratify the uh, population. So it helps our caregivers as they're trying to, you know, our IDT teams, as they're trying to plan and help support the families and where they will maybe add additional support where someone has had um, additional falls or maybe they have um, been to the ER recently so that we are um, trying to align the resources with the individuals that uh, are requiring additional support. Because as you know, uh, when you're an older adult, sometimes you need, um, you're doing really well and you're stable, and then you have peaks of where mm -hmm. you have additional requirements. And we want to make sure that our resources are aligned in that way. So that's one um, particular area that we've um, implemented in this current year um, that went live, I think in May. So that was one of our pieces. The other one that I'd just point to is 
um, a telehealth solution, which I know um, folks have been utilizing telehealth for some time. This one um, is actually in our nursing facility with the goal of treating individuals in place, so not um, sending them to the hospital. Um, and that was, uh, you know, our goal is to treat 95% of um, the individuals who have a change to, to try to keep 95% in-house. So we, um, we implemented that in um, September and that has, uh, we've seen a dramatic shift in the individuals that are on the phone that are comfortable, you know, so I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Someone um, has a change of condition on a Saturday night and historically we've been calling the physician on call who's probably out having a lovely dinner with their family and not wanting to take that call. Um, that has shifted now to this other um, system where they, um, the individuals that go telehealth so they can virtually see like you and I, they can see the patient, they can mm -hmm. uh, uh, talk with the, um, the nurse that um, has the change of condition and get vitals and all of those things. And they can give orders at that time to keep them um, in the facility versus having to, you know, if no one wants to go to an ER if they don't need to. Right. It's traumatic for, for an older, it's a traumatic for me. I would want to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, especially for someone maybe who um, has other comorbidities that make it difficult to travel. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Those are great um, additions to your program. And um, thank you for sharing um, exactly what the impact of each is, because um, I agree with you and for your, for the population that you're monitoring, both the you know the risk stratification and the telehealth options um, make a lot of sense. So that's that's really good. Um, what so I know there's a for those senior living providers who aren't yet working in the PACE um, model, and in some states it's not allowed, like Arizona. So I'm going to be sure to send this podcast episode to our regulators who are actually considering, they're doing a little bit of research this year. So that's been um, a step in the positive, <laughs> in the right direction. Um, but for those who are considering PACE, you know, what guidance would you give uh, a provider on, you know, what to look at, how to research, um, you know, pros and cons, what would you say? So I would, exactly what you were saying, I would encourage them to do research because it's not, um, it's not allowed in every state currently. And there, when it is, um, when there is a movement to expand pace within a state, there typically is an RFP process so um, you know, once they go through that process, and, and I'll give an example for Ohio, there was a very short timeline. So if you weren't um, paying attention to what was happening in your home state, you could have missed the proposal. The proposal came out in May, and it was due by July, and they made the selection in December. So it wasn't, it's not an open process where you, um, similar to other types of providers, where you could decide that you want to open a home health and you can go through a Medicare process of um, becoming certified. So there is a, a significant amount of research. We have wonderful resources within PACE. The National PACE Association, Sean Bloom, is always, um, and I'll share my contact information later on. Um, I make those connections to him quite frequently um, when folks reach out to me because there are significant resources that, you know, folks are, he can give you an update on what's happening in your home state. Uh, we have shared kind of the work that we did in Ohio to move from being a single, you know, single county to expansion. So that may be hopefully other states that are looking to 
um, go through an expansion or, or add this option to the, their toolbox is how we've explained it. Um, you know, PACE is not going to solve every issue. You know, it's not going to, we're never going to have 70,000 people in the state of Ohio because not everyone is uh, the right fit for PACE. Mm -hmm. um, however, we want to make sure that the regulators from Arizona, for, in for instance, if they want to talk to the folks um, in Ohio, that would be a great connection. I'm happy to, to make those connections. So that's one. The second one, I would probably encourage them to um, talk to a, uh, or look at partnership opportunities. Because if you have not operated a PACE before, it can be challenging uh, just understanding where to start. And so in Ohio, for instance, um, while we are expanding into two counties, um, and frankly, they're both coming on board within three months of each other. So it's a fairly um, quick turnaround for us. Um, the one is that we're expanding is just an, in addition to our current program, the other is in partnership with Ohio Living because they have, um, they already have the space. They are no quality provider in that mm -hmm. area. And so it made a lot of sense for us to look at other opportunities to work together with other not-for-profit providers. So um, if you do have this option in the state, there are a number of nonprofits that are um, actively expanding their PACE programs and would be open to partnering uh, with other not-for-profits, especially if you're trying to, if you're already serving the community and you have space available that you're looking to retrofit. So it's, those are two, would be two kind of basic things that I would say. And then the other thing I would just say from an insurance-based model perspective, um, understanding where your risks are, because it is, um, it is, can be risky, but what I will say is um, from a senior living provider, we're comfortable taking employee health risk. So why aren't we comfortable taking a risk when it comes to provider care that we get to help craft and support? So mm -hmm. I would just, I think folks have, they don't give themselves credit for some of the expertise that they already have that they're using to benefit their insurance partners in the community today when yeah. they could be part of that solution. What, what a, um, that's a great um, piece of advice, right? <laughs> for us is let's not, and, and senior living sometimes is known for being risk adverse. And this is not a risk adverse model. This is a all in, all encompassing model. So I love that you also shared um, that you're going into partnership with Ohio Living and um, congratulations to Ohio Living for getting McGregor yeah. Foundation as um, as a partner as well. Um, I think that's a great model. Are you, um, able to share maybe from a margin perspective the um the margin opportunity that comes from a pace program because it can be pretty significant now that supposes that you're managing your expenses well and all those uh care and utilization things but what can you tell us about so margin? Um, typically i would say between five to seven percent is our margin and that's um after you know uh, i would say that's our ebitda for mm -hmm. folks who are using that language, um, the it can depend on your state Medicaid. So what, what I will say for when you look at McGregor as in our history, the PACE program and that model is the only way that um, we have found to have still have a mission and a margin um, when you're serving a Medicaid population. So mm -hmm. traditionally, especially in um, the nursing home, it, environment, um, Medicaid is usually below cost, significantly below cost. And you do the, you know, the skilled services to help supplement 
to hope that it breaks the, you know, to work to get it to break even at the end of the at the end of the day. But in pace, it really allows you to make um, when you make decisions around supporting individuals in a less restrictive environment and help them to be as independent as possible for as long as possible. Those um, when you're successful in doing that, then obviously you can benefit from a margin perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's really good point that this is a, a, med- a Medicaid product that where you can actually have a margin because you're exactly right. I come from the healthcare world before I got into senior living and um, hard to make margin on most Medicaid programs. Absolutely. Okay. Well, so we talked a little bit about partnership. We're going to shift a little bit from PACE to another um, innovative um, partnership opportunity that you're engaged in around workforce development, recruitment, retention, um, helping to build the skills of staff who um, want to work in the senior living industry. So um, before I try to muck it up by trying to (laughs) describe it, why don't you describe it for us in what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So over the last two years, we've been working with other not-for-profit providers in the Cleveland area. So this really, again, came out of some of the work that happened during COVID where we were, where we banded together as a kind of a network to help solve some of the solutions that, or some of the challenges that we were having. And um, there's four partners. So McGregor is one of them, Um, Judson Senior Living, Eliza Jennings, and then Jennings Center for Older Adults, all standalone organizations, um, some faith-based, some not, but all not-for-profit providers, where we were facing challenges with um, entry-level workforce. So specifically, we started targeting uh, individuals, trying to recruit and um, retain individuals that maybe were not historically um, in healthcare and wanted to get into the these space, but didn't have the ability or the luxury to um, take off or, you know, let's say go to training in the evening um, and take off for a period of time to become certified. So um, we are recruiting and training um, in our state. They're called um, state tested nursing assistants or um, certified nursing assistants in other states mm-hmm. where we're hiring the individual and we're paying them while they're going through training. So they're hired at a base rate. Um, and they're paid that for usually it's three weeks of training time where they're in a classroom setting and clinicals. Um, once they complete the class, then they um, get a $3 bump in pay. And then while they're waiting um, until they take their state licensure exam, and then once they pass that exam, then they are bumped another $2. So in a very, really less than um, six weeks, typically, if they're uh, moving along pretty timely, they can uh, have a significant uh, increase in salary. So it's been extremely successful and we've been able to recruit um, individuals that maybe weren't thinking about um, senior living, but were interested in becoming licensed. Um, That particular model now has, um, I want to say, morphed some and we, we have kind of leveraged that for a second pilot where we are partnering with um, a software called Arena Analytics which is a um, artificial intelligence um, model that uh, tries to align the individual with the role. So there's not a good or bad um, person or from that standpoint, it's just, are you a good fit for that particular position? And the long-term strategy for this uh, pilot, let's say um, there's a, Cleveland is one of the markets that Arena is working on to create both 
a, so we have the senior living, the way it was described to me as a hallway, so that all four of us that are working together, someone could apply at McGregor, let's say, and complete this. And maybe they're not a good fit McGregor, but they're a better fit at Judson or Jennings, and they have an opening, they will get a, a connection to say, you are a good, you know, you are a match for these other positions. Do you, you know, please click here to apply. And so that it can help, you know, for all of us working together could help uh, get a better fit for that individual. And it's things, it, it sounds a little um, opaque, which I will say from many, um, in talking to many partners, they're like, well, artificial intelligence, I don't know, maybe that's not the right thing, but it's things like, um, do you, uh, how many phone calls do you make after hours? You know, so if somebody doesn't like being on the phone and part of their job is, you know, customer service, maybe that's not the right fit for them. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, do you, it's just, it's more preference. So there's not a right or wrong answer. And the way that they utilize this data is then they um, take our historical terminations and uh, hires and how they have, um, how long they've stayed with the organization and the, uh, the model learns and creates uh, changes, let's say a better fit. So there's a, a, a neutral, um, a positive fit for the, or an unlikely fit. Mm -hmm. And um, ARENA gives, currently gives a uh, guarantee that if you don't see a decrease in um, turnover by 10%, that they will give you your money back. So yeah. we're really excited about that piece, but um, the long-term strategy for us is there is a, another partnership that is being um, worked on with the local hospital systems mm -hmm. to implement a very similar, so they're creating the hospital corridor and there's a manufacturing group that's working on a manufacturing corridor and they'll all read, they'll all kind of meet in this um, lobby. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if we're successful, someone that is applying, let's say at a hospital who never thought about senior living before, but let's say because of their answers are a better fit, they could get served up. Um, you know, you may want to consider this nursing position that's at the location right around the corner mm -hmm. from you, but that's a good fit. So. For us, you know, when I'm thinking about how do we expand the senior living workforce, some of our biggest challenges are just awareness. Mm -hmm. And so how do we make sure that we are on the list of um, providers where people want to work um, and help shift that mindset? So that's um, one of the innovations we're working on. Really excited for that, uh, to yeah. see where this goes. Yeah. I'm going to come back to um, the new pilot and arena analytics in just a second, but going back to the original um, partnership, um, you mentioned uh, training CNAs or state certified nursing assistants in your case. Um, is it a shared um, training program then? Is it done in one site or does it rotate? I mean, so how does that work? So we started as um, we had it in one location. And that worked probably for the first year. Um, the second year we actually went to, we have multiple locations. So depending on what is best for the individual, so mm -hmm. that, um, they can match, uh, pick the program that makes the most sense for them. So um, now that we've expanded it to uh, be more, we used to have one class a month. Um, now we have a couple of class options and a couple of class locations, which has, again, helped try to remove some of the barriers that get in the way. Um, but we do work with the same schools. So they're, you know, they're familiar with the program. They understand where to send the invoices and all of the things that kind of sometimes will 
get in the way of starting an innovation like this or starting a program. So we've been able to kind of remove some of those barriers and really share best practices across the group, which has been one of the reasons why we continue to, to try to find ways to, to solve these issues together because mm-hmm. we're all having the same, you know, challenges. And have you done it for any other positions or are you planning to do it for other positions besides nursing assistants? So we have not done the earn and learn model um, for other positions across the continuum. Um, McGregor, because of uh, some of our um, uniqueness with the PACE program, we've done um, the earn and learn model with transportation mm-hmm. because there's certain certifications in that location and um, that type of a position. And then we're just starting um, a model with uh, licensed LPNs. So, okay. but that's more internal mm-hmm. promotion. Um, to provide some payment for while they're in class. So it's not a one-to-one like we're doing with um, CNAs, but it's a longer, it's 11 months Mm -hmm. for it to become an LPN. So again, it's a step, it's a pilot. We're going to continue to see how this works, but we have to be innovative. We have to, you know, try different things because we know what the demographic issues are, you know, are challenging our uh, our work. Um, if there's an HR person um, listening, I'm going to ask the question that they might be thinking of, which is, um, what are there any um, legalities around for nonprofit providers saying we're going to hire at this rate, we're going to bump at this time, we're going to bump at this time, and all kind of moving in unison? So we don't um, technically use the same. So everyone okay. sets their own, um, and they're okay. not all exactly the same. Okay. But the concept is the same, right? Okay. So maybe McGregor starts at one rate and someone, you know, another provider starts at a different rate. Um, but we wanted to make sure that there were designated times for those um, kind of steps because the the long-term goal was to try to have, um, to align with some of the funding from the government around continuous, um, you know, education or certification programs mm-hmm. that have um really become the apprenticeship programs and some of those things. There's some additional funding that could allow us to, to make this program much more sustainable instead of having to rely on internal funds. Um, so that was some of the reasons why we tried to align those um, stages, not so much what the payment was. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. And then um, on the pilot uh, with the um, AI um overlay and arena analytics, is that only for nursing assistants as well? Or is that for a broader range of um, positions? Yeah, that's for our entire workforce. I mean, um, so it doesn't, you know, it's the STNA nurses, um, dietary aids. So one of our biggest um, opportunities for improvement is with the dining services area. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can imagine with the competition in um, some of the let's say the fast food or move significant increases we've seen in salary and other places, um, finding that right fit for dining services is important. And um, so that's one of our areas that we're working on. So yeah, it, it does expand larger than just the one position. Perfect. Oh, we're going to uh, be excited to hear, you know, what that long term looks like. I think um, you're really forging some new ground here. And I love the concept of the different hallways and the fact that um, it's true, right? Folks don't realize that even if, say, they're in dining and they're working for fast food, that senior living could be another option or 
um, hospitals or things like that. So I know the partnership, um, this is all relatively new. Do you have any um, statistics to share on, you know, impact? Are you seeing any decrease in turnover at this point from the various things or um, an increase in um, hiring on the nursing assistant side? So I will say that um, just from, a, I guess, a shout out that um, last year in 2023, we um, trained more than 88 um, individuals to become licensed um, certified nursing assistants which for us from a, again, from a funding perspective to be able to support it from a philanthropic perspective, as well as um, helping to expand the senior living workforce for us, that was um, a significant number in our small you know, area. From the retention side, um, I will say that it's about the same as what we're experiencing for individuals we're hiring from the outside. So part of the strategy around the arena overlay was to um, try to reduce that um, turnover and increase the retention of those individuals mm -hmm. that are going through the training program because we can um, do everything uh, in a positive way from the training to the onboarding um, to getting folks um, started on in the role, but if it wasn't the right role for them, mm -hmm. um, because let's say they, you know, they have a location that's right down the street, that's more convenient. It would be helpful to know that um, earlier rather than later. So yeah, yeah we're having to be, uh, to reevaluate all the time and look for opportunities for improvement. Yeah. Um, any lessons that you would share with senior living providers when they're considering whether a partnership uh, makes sense when it comes to earn and learn programs or um, trying to, you know, share recruiting strategies? So I would encourage individuals or organizations not to try to do it all on their own, right? Everyone is having a very similar problem. And if we can learn from one, you know, I'm happy to share in, uh, kind of what we're doing. And if if it works in your your particular market, great. I'd love to see the, the success of another not-for-profit provider. And I think that sometimes we look at it as a competitive nature, mm -hmm. but for at the end of the day, if it's a good fit for um, a, a applicant, um, if it's a better fit at Judson or Jennings, eventually they're going to make that decision on their own. I'd much rather have them end up in the right place um, at the beginning versus um, trying to, again, take all of that, you know, I'm going to just keep all of those individuals or those applicants for McGregor. And that's not uh, not going to help raise the entire community. So this is both from how do we help support the entire not-for-profit community as well as our local um, talent, you know, yeah. help them be have a positive experience. Yeah. I um just love um, the messages that you've shared today a lot around, you know, let's not um, reinvent the wheel or do this ourselves, you know, let's use our partnerships to um, kind of raise the tide so that we all are stronger organizations, especially at not in as not for profits and as senior living providers, our jobs are hard enough as it is, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we have enough other struggles that we can spend our time on. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So, Anne, tell um, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more. And thank you again for offering to um, be willing to share all this expertise, both on the podcast and it sounds like you're open to contacts afterwards as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. 
um, that's probably the easiest to message me that way. But um, you can also, there'll be in, in the show notes, there'll be information or with my email, which is ann.con at mcgregoramassa.org. Um, or you can give me a phone call as well, which is in my, um, on the website. So feel free. Uh, I'm happy to jump on a quick virtual call and answer any questions you might have or share some of the documents that we've utilized to kind of go through this. Um, but I'm open to any dialogue. Thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity on all fronts. This has been a very uh, insightful conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have. And um, I just want to thank you for your time today and for being so open with us. I'm Jennifer Drago. You've been listening to Senior Living Visionaries podcast, where we explore the cutting edge ideas and breakthroughs that are shaping the future of the senior living industry. Please subscribe to be notified each time an episode drops at seniorlivingvisionaries.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries.